Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you could spend the next hour with us. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. Our show streams Monday through Friday simultaneously to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. Hope everyone is doing well. Thank you for your patience staying up late with me, or it could be very early in the morning depending on where you guys are. I know Colette is in England. Colette is a bona fide uh, night owl, just like myself. So Colette, we have so much in common. It's not even, it's crazy. Uh, I want to welcome Viviana who's joining us on Facebook. Tina, Lindsay Sparks is also joining us. We have CC Wheezy on YouTube, Khaleesi. We have, of course, our moderator, Dead Talk Live moderator, who is AKA uh, Marie <laughs> on uh, Instagram. Let's see, we have Karen on Instagram, Saeed, Feed SB, Ismail is joining us. Mary Martins is with us. Welcome, Mary. Welcome, Ismail. It, uh, it's good to see you again, Ismail. It's been a while. So I hope everyone is doing well. Khaleesi is also a night owl as well. It's good to know I'm not alone. I, uh, yeah, I've been a night owl now going on well over 15 years. My day does not start till usually about 2 or 3 p.m. And I go to bed when my wife wakes up to go to work. <laughs> I know it doesn't make for the uh, ideal marriage arrangement when you know when your wife wakes up you go to bed and vice versa but we're making it work we're making it work want to welcome arlene who is joining us on facebook all the way from phoenix welcome arlene it's good to have you here with us on the show so it is thursday night so one more day before the weekend and we have not done the news since last friday to say that this has been a crazy week a frustrating week uh, would be a huge understatement. And this is a good time for me to explain why we had to postpone Monday's show. Uh, if you guys obviously who watch us every night notice that we had to cancel Monday, night sh Monday night's show. Uh, last weekend, I had uh, planned... Uh, and scheduled to do hardware maintenance. Basically, I was upgrading my computer to a brand new... I, I build my own computers. I always have. I'd like to have total control of what goes inside of it. It's just my thing. I don't like to go to the store, to the store and buy a pre-built computer. So I ordered all the hardware I was going to dedicate last weekend. And I... Uh, you know, I have a little bit of an IT background. I've built hundreds of computers throughout my time. And I got to say, this one was the most challenging. Uh, at the end of the day, it turned out that I got a bad motherboard. And it frustrated the hell, I'm, hell out of me. I wasted three days. I didn't have a computer. Thus, I cannot do Monday's show. That's why I had to cancel it. But everything is up and running. I'm waiting for one more component that is arriving tomorrow. That's my video card, and it will be complete. And I've got a, I have now a very sweet, sweet, latest, up-to-date computer system. So I'm kind of proud of it. 
Anyway, uh, welcome to Arias, who just joined us on Instagram. Butch71 has just joined us. So we have not done the news since last Friday, so we have a lot to talk about. And we'll try to get to our script tonight, which is time period horror. And there is plenty of time period horror just off the top of my head. I can list you 10 movies right off the bat. But on with the news, and there's lots of news out there. So first on the list... 10 horror villains who acted in self-defense. Now, when I first saw this uh, headline, I'm like, no, this is just a cheesy article. But then, you know, you see Jason right there. That is not what attracted me to this article. Christine on the left. Now, Christine, which is a car, totally acted in self-defense to a degree. There were a lot of people out there that were trying to destroy good old Christine. So, yeah, she was going to fight back. And Christine, for those of you guys who don't know, the Stephen King novel turned into a very successful movie about a possessed car. And we really don't get to find out any kind of a backstory as to who or what is possessing Christine. And I've always thought that would make a great prequel. How the hell did Christine get possessed? Uh, we have not seen anything before that uh, that comes even close. I mean, yeah, we have seen ton of horror shows uh, based on possessed objects. They're all around, movies, TV shows. But a car to be possessed and have a conscience of its own, obviously it's it's being controlled by... A spirit it could be demonic we have no idea uh, I would love to ask Stephen King what his thoughts are when he was writing the novel is Christine being controlled by a demonic entity is it being controlled by a previous owner who when they passed away just loved that car so much instead of crossing over it decided to stay with the car, wherever the car went. And we know from the book and the movie that whoever owns Christine becomes controlled by Christine is the best way to put it. I loved Christine. It's one of my favorite Stephen King movies. Absolutely one of the top three. So anyway, while it seems like all horror villains are wanton killers... A good number of them acted out of pure self-defense or a need to survive. Monsters, madmen, and masked maniacs are all the go-to images when one thinks of a horror movie villain. Creatures of pure evil like demons, serial killers, and evil entities are all the pillars of the genre. But how often are their motives logically called into question? Though that might be hard to do when cornered with a sharp object against one's throat. Some of the genre's most iconic characters aren't actually acting out of malice alone, but rather self-defense or protection. I mean, how many of us have ever really thought of it that way? Violence in the name of self or home defense is legal in most places, so how many of these faces of horror were actually in their rights to slash back. Number 10, 
Jaws. Yeah, he's a predator. I mean, at the end of the day, Jaws is just a big giant fish. Can't really blame him. He's a predator. Number nine, Christine. This is the one I wanted to read. It's hard to imagine a car with feelings, but Christine is no ordinary ride. The reason she attacks those who try to get behind her wheel, other than the one that restored her, is simply that she or her beloved Arnie become threatened. In no uncertain terms, Christine loves her owner. And if she can't have him, no one can. She kills anyone who tries to hurt him or otherwise keep him away from her. It's a fatal attraction. So let's play devil's advocate here. I mean, who, how many people here think that Christine is controlled by a demonic entity? Just a whole love for the owner, you know, restoring me, kind of sort of tends to not lend itself to that idea, but more of a possessed person, probably a woman, maybe. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Colette writes, Jaws, no horror, only in his own environment. Yeah, I still, I, to this day, uh, yeah, Jaws is not a horror movie. It's a great movie, but I would never classify Jaws as a horror movie. I can understand when it came out in the 1970s, it terrified a lot of people. Uh, that is not a big secret. A lot of people did not want to go back into the water after watching Jaws. But uh, I, I see it as more of a drama, action, thriller, but horror, no. All right, here's an interesting one. Number eight, Leatherface. Oh, boy, I'd like to see how they uh, back this one up. In most of the movies, Leatherface is simply a pawn in the grand, screen, grand scheme concocted by his cannibal clan. He's the muscle with the mask, not the criminal mastermind. If anything, he only wants to be left alone. The main reason he goes berserk in this 3D slaughter fest is that a group of trespassers is using his family home as their own personal pad and that's nothing compared to when he's protecting his long lost cousin all right i can see their point of view uh i mean leatherface does not go out on the prowl looking for victims in almost every movie that we've seen it's them coming to the house. We know it's not just him. His whole family is demented. So he is definitely a product of his upbringing. So, yeah, let's give Leatherface a pass. Number seven, Karis from The Mummy. Ah, ugh. Number six, The Amphibian Man, Shape of Water, Another Creature. Number five, The Ghosts of Crimson Peak. Speaking of monsters created by Guillermo del Toro, horror fans should talk more about the spectacular specters haunting the halls of Crimson Peak. Granted, these ghosts aren't exactly killers, but they are protective and serve as undead cautionary tales that warn against the terrors of the titular estate. You know, I, let's sort of take a little bit of a detour here. I know we've 
at some point or another joked about this with friends or something, but if you're a ghost, right? You know, you passed on. Hey, you got the answer. Is there life after death? Yeah, you know, you're there. You don't have a body anymore, but your consciousness is around. Let's say you find a way, like we saw in the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze. You learn how to manipulate the physical world. I mean, come on. How many of us can simply say, no matter how good of a person we are, that we would not take some amusement into scaring the shit of others? I mean, come on. You're dead, right? You're dead. I assume it's not the most exciting place to be. So, you know, you got to entertain yourself. Uh, you might not want to cause harm to the living person, but you may want to entertain yourself every now and again. Slam a couple of doors, open some windows, turn on the faucet, you know, poke someone, you know, in the nose while they're sleeping. I'm not talking about any of the real violent stuff where people wake up and they're being choked to death. Khaleesi writes, I most definitely would. I mean, just put yourself in that spirit's position. You're dead. You don't have a physical body anymore. And I th that's why I love the movie Ghost with Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze. Uh, they don't just die and have all this power to manipulate the physical world. I loved how that movie showed that he had to figure out how to harness his energy to actually interact with the physical world. But come on. We would all have a little bit of fun. I, I would find it hard to believe when, uh, if someone says, yeah, you know what? No, I ain't bothering anybody. Uh, Colette writes, I've always said I'm going to be a ghost. So let's see. Number four, King Kong. Again, another uh, big gorilla. He just want. I think King Kong should be number one on this list. He just wanted to be left alone on Skull Island. He was fine, he was happy, and of course, here comes, you know, humanity, and pluck him out of his home, and they put him right on Broadway. I'm talking about the original King Kong, and what the story is about. Come on. You think things are not going to go sideways when you do that? Number three, Jason Voorhees. This I gotta read. Campers must remember these are his woods. Jason Voorhees is one of the most influential and infamous horror characters in the entire genre. I still like Michael Myers better. But for the first few films, he was only protecting his home and avenging his mother. It certainly sounds like his means were justified. When fans think about it, Jason just wants to be left alone. But legions of drunk, frisky teens mooched their way into his stomping grounds to party, and then it's lights out. The Outcasts, uh, The Final. The Final is a rare and ingenious independent horror flick where the victims become the villains and vice versa. The Outcasts are a group of nerds who wreak, re who wreak revenge on their bullies by torturing them in a barn after a party on Halloween night. The acts of torture the outcasts distribute are downright disturbing, but their bullies aren't innocent either. 
Torture begets torture in this film, and honestly, it's hard not to root for the masked vigilantes despite their gruesome methods. So there you guys go. Uh, want to welcome all our new viewers who just just, uh, just joined us on Instagram. Amador has just joined us. Andrew, welcome to everybody. Uh, Colette writes, I cried watching Kong. I love King Kong. How can you not root for King Kong? And if I had to pick over King Kong and Godzilla, I would pick King Kong every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I like Godzilla too. I think Godzilla is a badass, but I just like King Kong. Don't mess with the king. Um, let's see. Khaleesi. Uh, oh, you guys are already on to the next one. You see the picture. And the number one person who acted out of self-defense, can't really argue with this one, is Carrie. All Carrie wanted to do was be a normal teenager. Go to the prom and not be, well, not have all the crap happen to her that her classmates did. I mean, that was just, they all got exactly what they deserved. Really? You're going to make her win prom queen? It's all rigged. Have everybody vote for her. And then rig it up for pig's blood to spill all over her while she's on stage. And this girl has telekinetic powers and, you you know, she's not going to use those. Carrie is 100% justified. It wasn't self-defense. It wasn't either she do what she did and or she dies. It was just pure revenge. And you cannot blame her uh, at all. And as Khaleesi writes, her mom is just was just as bad and as a bigger contributor than her classmates. Her mom, being that religious fanatic that she was, totally screwed up Carrie. So it goes on to say, if Karen, if Carrie did not have her telekinetic abilities, she would have joined the outcast with little further provocation. Carrie shouldn't be considered the villain. I never did. But the tragic hero of both the Stephen King novel and the Brian De Palma film adaptation. Consider the events that led up to Carrie's massacre on the dance floor on the prom night. She is nominated prom queen as a joke, has a pig's blood dumped all over her handmade dress, and her date is killed right in front of her. She was hurt, and she was simply, she simply took it out on her aggressors, and they got exactly what they deserve. Uh, Tina Wilds writes, I would have done the exact same thing. I'm right with you, Tina. Jason uh, says a classic movie and a great performance by the main cast. Carrie has to be up there as one of the all-time great horror movies. And that's why we talked about this last week uh, with the remake. Uh, there is no... I really don't see any other person portraying Carrie the way Sissy Spacek did back then. She was the perfect casting for that role you just can't beat it and she's a phenomenal actress so moving on uh let's see netflix's new original horror movie is now available to stream uh 
It's called oxygen. So let's check it out. Let's check it out with sound, which we do not have. Come on. Come on. Where is the sound? Lolly dolly da. There we go. It's muted. But I guess we have to watch this out. No way to skip it. All right, here we go. Phew. Pourquoi je me souviens de rien? On commence par quoi That's it. All right. Not much of a trailer right there. This is the second French horror movie trailer that we've seen in just as many weeks. I guess the French are really getting involved into the horror genre. Before that, I don't remember ever seeing a French-made horror film. So, good for them. All right, The Forever Purge. I know a lot of us are looking forward to this. Uh, trailer sees the horror franchise go far beyond a single night of chaos and terror. Let's see if there actually is a trailer. Of course, there is no trailer. There's no trailer here. But anyway, let's see what it has to say. It was just a little less than eight years ago that writer-director James DeMonico introduced us to The Purge a cinematic alternative reality where the United States is taken over by a new political party that mandates an annual 12-hour period when all crime is legal. That film turned out to be a big surprise hit, and we've taken a long journey with the movie since, going through anarchy, election year, a prequel, exploration of the first purge, and even a television show that only lasted two seasons, or one. Now that the franchise is set to make a return to the big screen, it will do so with the Forever Purge, launching this summer. Following the film's pandemic-related delays, the first trailer for the Forever Purge is now online, and it gives us not only a glimpse at a very different story set to unfold, but also considerable nob considerable number of shocking visuals. I gotta find this trailer. Hold on. You know what? I'm gonna find it. Because I'm really curious. I have not seen this trailer. The Forever Purge trailer. I gotta see this. Alright. One day ago. The annual purge will conclude in three, two, one. Thank you for your participation. We survived 
All police and emergency services have been reinstated. All crime, including murder, is now illegal. Come on, let's get to work. One night only. The rest of the year is peaceful. How's that feel? Is the real purge. The forever purge! Hurry up! They're coming! Come on! Follow me! There's nowhere safe to go. No way to get help. Oh my god. We gotta find another way to get out of here. country's gonna collapse. Mexico is opening its borders for the next six hours. Let's go! We're in this together. Translate. Hmm. All right. Now, okay. That looks interesting. Uh, it looks like a group of people just love the purge so much they don't want it to end. Uh, I don't understand how it goes nationwide uh, because, as you saw in the beginning of that trailer, uh, the end of the purge is called for the night. So, but this group, this group of people decide to continue it. It looks, it looks pretty good. Uh, I'd like to see how it spreads beyond just a group of people who don't want the purge to end. That would be interesting. And if you remember the last purge movie, which was election year, the whole premise on how that movie ended was the new president getting elected, uh, and she got elected on the premise that she would put an end to the purge. So I hope they tackle that issue and not just begin this movie as if that never happened. Either she got assassinated, uh, her attempts to end the purge failed, at least explain it some way, somehow. Don't just go into this movie without an explanation. Either way, that looks really interesting. So, uh, where, were, where were we? Like, in the case with the first Purge, James DeMonico has written the screenplay for the film, and taking over the director duties for the series is Everardo Gout, who is best known for his small screen work on the series including National Geographic Mars, which was really good, by the way, Luke Cage, Snowpiercer, and The Terror. 
While all four of the 12 previous movies in the franchise have been primarily set during the terrifying 12-hour stretch when murder, rape, arson, assault, and more are completely legal, The Forever Purge quickly establishes in its trailer that it is putting on a new spin on things by starting its story in the wake of a purge. In the movie, the central characters living close to the southern border of the United States find themselves terrorized by a group of marauders who have no interest in seeing the half day of zero consequences come to an end, hence the title. It's not specifically made clear when the film is set in relationship to its predecessors, but considering that the purge is brought to an end in the closing minutes of the purge election night, with Elizabeth Mitchell's Charlie Roan becoming president, it seems fair to assume that this new plot will be set either immediately after that final event, or at a different point on the timeline completely. Okay, now that makes sense. Uh, Election year ended, like I said, with the new president being elected. Let's say people who really love the purge and don't want to see it go away find out she just got elected, and they pursue uh, the killing, knowing that it's going to come... Purge night is going to come to an end. They decide to take it upon themselves to continue purging. That would make sense. Uh, the ensemble cast includes Anna de la Reguria, Tanush Huerta, Josh Lucas, Cassidy Freeman, Levin Rambin, Alejandro Eda, and Will Patton. As has been the case for the last two titles in the series as well, The Forever Purge will be coming out tied to the most patriotic of all holidays, Independence Day, July 4th. With the big day for fireworks and picnics on a Sunday this year, the brand new release will be available for your eyes and ears on July 2nd. Stay tuned here on the site for more about the film, as I recently had a great chat about the movie with Eduardo Everardo Gout, to get a glimpse at everything that is set to hit theaters and streamers before the end of December. So, let's see. Philip writes, I wish the United States would also allow a purge. Oh, God. Now, that's what makes the purge so terrifying is the fact that it could actually happen. I mean, there's nothing that says it is completely impossible. And those are the scariest of scare, you know, the the bit, the, the most scariest horror movies are the ones where the scenario that they are in, no matter how small the possibility is, if it's actually possible, it just makes it terrifying. So, this is a true life story right here. There was an explosion slash fire at the real Amityville house out in Long Island. In the film, the Amityville horror, an unsuspecting couple by a beautiful house that winds up being haunted by unspeakable evil in its past. The house where the movie was filmed still stands on Brooks Road in downtown Tom's River. Oh, okay. 
So this is not the actual Amityville house. This is the house that they used to film the movie, which is in New Jersey. Tom's River is in New Jersey. Uh, Jillian Messina of the Tom's River Police Department told Jersey Shore online that a neighbor called the police after hearing an explosion around 1.30 a.m. on Tuesday, May 12th. So it's not the actual Amityville house. Courtney Cox's Scream 5 update has me confused about the horror sequel. The horror genre has been experiencing a renaissance over the past few years to the joy of the fans, and in addition to exciting original projects, beloved franchises have also been returning to theaters. This trend will continue with the new Scream movie, which will feature the original trio of heroes, including Courtney Cox, although the Friends alum latest update about Scream 5 has me a little bit confused, says the writer of this article. The upcoming fifth Scream movie will be the first installment of the beloved slasher property not helmed by the late horror legend Wes Craven. The pressure is on for Ready or Not directors Matt uh, Badalini, Olpen, and Tyler Gillette li- to live up to expe- expectations, although actors like Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, clearly were seemingly impressed by the filmmakers. Cox recently spoke to the fifth movie content, saying this, quote, Scream, this is the fifth one. It's not Scream 5, though. This is Scream. These directors are incredible. They're making it absolutely... They're making it absolutely... It's a new franchise. It's hip. It's scary. It's just a new Scream. It's not a reboot. It's not a remake. It's just a brand new launch. I think it's going to be fantastic. So I can see where the author is confused. She's telling them that it's not a sequel, uh, but it's a brand new Scream, but it's not a reboot or a relaunch. So what is it? So the writer goes on to say, well, I'm confused because while Courtney Cox teases something totally new for Scream, she also maintains the project is not a reboot or a remake. Somebody give us some footage ASAP. Courtney Cox's comments come after her recent appearance on screen on Scream co-star Drew Barrymore Drew, Drew Barrymore's, Barrymore's talk show. I did not know Drew Barrymore had a talk show. While discussing topics like the Friends reunion, eventually Barrymore asked her friend and colleague about Scream 5. While being careful not to reveal the movie's contents, Cox's cryptic quote is sure to start a new series of fan theories. The fifth screen movie title was the subject of some backlash when it was released, as it's identical to Wes Craven's original movie. While some cast members have joked about the title, Courtney Cox seems to take it seriously, although fans are going to remain in the dark for the time being. Not much known, not much is known about the contents of Scream 5, although having franchise stars Cox, Campbell, and David Arquette back is definitely a good sign. 
Campbell previously revealed that it was the director's love for Wes Craven's work that convinced her to return. We'll just have to wait and see if they manage to make it out of the sequel alive. So, yeah, that's pretty cryptic. Uh, it's not a sequel. It's not a reboot. It's not a remake. It's just Scream. Take that for what you will, but we just have to wait and find out. Hopefully, when the trailer does drop, we'll actually get a little bit more information. Uh, Philip on Facebook writes, love the Scream movies. Uh, Lindsay Sparks about Drew Barrymore's talk show. It's called The Drew Barrymore Show. Well, there you go. Is it a video talk show? Is it a podcast? Uh, is it a live stream like we are? I, I love Drew Barrymore. The first time I saw Drew Barrymore on the screen was when she was a little girl in a movie called Firestarter. I don't know how many of you guys have seen the movie Firestarter, which can very well be considered a horror film. Uh, it's about this young girl who has the ability uh, through her mind to start fires. And she's being chased down by the government because the government wants to use her for experiments and whatnot as a weapon and she is on the run with her father who is trying to protect her and her father also has some special abilities uh colette writes uh, i have it is another king uh so does tina wilde it was a very good movie i love firestarter uh khaleesi says et was my first one of her yeah for me, my first movie with Drew Barrymore was uh, Firestarter. So, I mean, she has been acting from a very young age. And I don't know if you guys know all the stories, but she's had to overcome a lot. Starting as a very young girl. And, you know, we're all happy that she's made it through all of that. So, let's see. Looking at the time, nine spooky boarding school movies worthy of the horror honor roll. Let's just go through this list. Number one is Phenomena. Number two is Jennifer. These are boarding school movies. Number three, H2O, Halloween. Number four, Panic at Hanging Rock. Number five, The Moth Diaries. Six, The Woods. Seven, The House That Screamed. Eight, The Black Coat's Daughter. Nine, Down a Dark Hall. So there you go. I actually have not heard of at least half of these movies. Obviously, I know H2O, but there's a lot on here that I have not watched. So why the 1990s were such a bad decade for horror movies? And looking back, uh, I guess they're right. Not a lot of great horror movies came out in the 90s. You could say the 90s and the early 2000s was a transition period for the entire horror genre. And then, you know, starting in the early 2000s, some movies came out that really reshaped the horror genre moving forward. Movies like Paranormal Activity, Hostel, are just to name two of them. The 1990s were a weaker decade when it comes to horror movies, though not all of them were bad. 
we got the we, that's true we got misery we got the original scream but why was it a bad decade for the horror genre the 1990s isn't exactly the f the favorite horror decade uh it went through a lot of changes that left viewers wanting more of the style of horror movies from the 1980s. Here's what happened. The horror genre has been going through a great run in recent years with adaptations of popular works. Uh, as in Andy Muschietti's IT duology, remakes of beloved horror movie, reboots like The Evil Dead and original stories like Get Out by Jordan Pele that have revived the genre. The success that horror movies are enjoying now comes after the genre went through a rough patch in the 90s, a decade that isn't remembered fondly by many. Although each decade has had its own notable horror movies, the 1990s get a lot of criticism for being considered a low point in the history of the horror genre. While many horror enthusiasts considered the 90s as the weakest decade due to its lack of interest, engaging and scary, though it's that subjective story, it wouldn't be entirely true to call it a low point in the history of horror. The 1990s saw some really big and important productions, not just on the big screen, but also on television, as it was the decade that saw the releases of the of the It miniseries, uh, Tim Curry was starring as Pennywise, but it also made a lot of mistakes and suffered the consequences of the success of the 1980s in the horror realm. I think by the time the 90s roll around, people just got tired of slasher flicks. The 1990s had the bad luck of being a period of transition but what happened in the horror genre that made this decade one of many misfires and overlooked successes, giving it a bad reputation. Here's why the 1990s were a bad decade for horror movies. The 1980s was a golden era for horror movies. Of course, like I said, that's where we got all the slasher movies. Audiences were jaded by horror in the 90s. Don't forget, we got great movies like Silence of the Lambs back in 1992. Uh, why uh, Halloween? Why the first movie's reviews were negative? How it changed? That's just another related article. It didn't help either that the MPAA was coming down hard on the gore, which took the freedom that it had in the 80s away and left viewers looking for the same gruesome effects from the past decade only to be disappointed. And that's where filmmakers had to become creative, and thus, you know, you can argue that's when psychological horror really started to take off. Uh, so, I mean, I agree that the 90s is not the biggest uh, or the best decade when it comes to horror. It is a transition decade, but if it wasn't for that transition decade that did give us some pretty good movies, we would not be where we are now. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of great movies in The Mouth of Madness, Candyman, uh, Wes Craven's uh, Scream, New Nightmare. Uh, so, they mentioned Jacob's Ladder. 
personally, I did. I'm not a big fan of that movie. I don't know how many of you guys saw Jacob's Ladder. I'm just personally, I'm just not a big fan of it. So let's see. Moving on. Here are ten horror movies starring the cast of The Walking Dead. All right, let's just quickly go through this. The Possession, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I know a lot of us uh, have seen this movie. It's based on a possessed box. It's basically uh, them making a movie about the real-life Dybbuk box. Number nine, The Mist has the biggest ensemble of Walking Dead cast members, part of the original gang, and that is because of uh, Darabont, who brought The Walking Dead to TV. He's also responsible for The Mist as well. It had Melissa McBride, Laurie Holden, Jeffrey DeMunn, who was Dale on The Walking Dead, and on. Uh, the Boy, Lauren Cohen. We had the director uh, of The Boy on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Slither, Michael Rooker. Number six, Mayhem, Stephen Yuen. Number five, The Ones Below, play, uh, had the governor, David Morrissey. Number four, Blade Two, Norman Reedus. Number three, Mercy, Young Chandler Riggs. Number two, Candyman, Xander Berkeley, who is going to be a guest on our show here once the schedule lightens up. Uh, Xander Berkeley has been in this business for a very long time, and he's appeared in almost every different genre that exists. And number one, the most recent release, we also had the writer and director of this movie on our show as well, and that is The Unholy, starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And of course, the writer-director is Evan Spiliotopoulos. So, a lot of good movies starring former and current Walking Dead cast members. Khaleesi writes, I loved Mayhem. Uh, Philip says Norman Reedus plays in the movie The Boondog Saints 2. He does. If you guys want to see a very young Norman Reedus, he had like a two-minute role in this movie. But I don't know how many of you guys have watched the movie 8mm with Nicolas Cage. Uh, if you want to see a very young Norman Reedus, he's only in the movie for like literally two minutes. Uh, but he's in there. He is in there. Check it out. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's not horrible. You won't waste your time watching it. The critics absolutely hated it. But I, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. But yeah, 8mm starring Nicolas Cage. There's a two-minute scene about halfway through the movie where uh, you get to see Norman Reedus. And he is in jail. You know, so he plays a prisoner. Uh, Lisa has seen it. Very dark movie. Uh, Lindsay Spark writes, OMG, 8mm. Good movie. It was. It was, uh, uh, I don't think the critics gave it the due that it deserved. I'm not saying it was great, uh, but it was definitely interesting. I loved the ending in 8mm. And the you see the journey of what Nicolas Cage's character 
is going through and the world that he is exposed to uh it leads him to uh do some shocking things in the end of the movie uh not going to ruin it for you guys if for those of you who haven't watched it but if you're looking for something interesting to watch check it out so eight 48 minutes in elevator to hell west craven's scary alice in wonderland we'll save this for another time now this is a long article we're not going to get we don't have time to get into it this is an article out, out of ireland the, the the headline reads that did not scare me and it's about understanding horror fiction good horror is rarely just a single note it's a symphony argues editor Brian J. Showers. Maybe some other day we'll get into this. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix to film a horror movie in Montreal with Hereditary Director. So he is another great actor. Uh, one of his most recent roles, of course, he played the Joker in Joker. Why horror fans think that the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is dead. And I would say it is dead. I would not want to see a reboot, a remake. They tried doing a reboot several years ago of this franchise. It did not go well at all. I think one of the main reasons that failed is because I don't think there's anybody out there that can replace Robert England as Freddy Krueger. He was just a perfect actor to bring that character to life. So I think that's why, that's one of the reasons why that reboot was not a big hit. And 10 underrated horror movie theme songs. Again, we'll save this for another day. So in the time that we have left, let's just quickly go into our topic, which as I said at the beginning of the show, time period horror, lots of them. I mean, more than what is just on this list. Like the stuff that comes to my mind right off the bat, of course, you have the the interview with the vampire and Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Uh, they're actually doing another one. Uh, AMC is bringing the Vampire Chronicles back to life as well as a TV show. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, you have the others. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of horror movies based in like the during World War II or post World War II era. And there are also a lot of great uh, horror shows and movies that go back to the Victorian age in the 1800s. I've talked about this show plenty of times. I'm going to bring it up again. One of my all-time favorites is uh, Showtime's Penny Dreadful. It lasted three seasons. It does take place in uh, the late 1800s in London. And for those of you that are not familiar uh, about or what Penny Dreadful is about, it brings back all the classic monsters. You know, Dracula, Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, and they tie them all together into this beautiful three-season story 
that centers around this tortured woman, uh, emotionally tortured, whose name is Vanessa Ives. And I love it. I'm sorry. They were supposed to uh, continue on with the franchise after the original three season story ended uh, with another story taking place in the uh, 1920s or 1930s in Los Angeles. That was years ago. It was talked about. It was it was a done deal. They were getting ready to do it. And then you just stopped hearing about it. It just did never happened. I have no idea if they have plans on doing it in the future. I don't know if it's been completely scrapped, but they, you just stopped reading about it. There's just no word. Uh, Khaleesi writes, Abe Lincoln, the Vampire Slayer, was awesome. It was. And just by the title, uh, you know, Lincoln, the Vampire Slayer, you're like, there is no way this movie is going to be any good. Just how silly the title is. But we have been surprised so many times in the past that just because the title of a movie sounds silly does not mean that it's not going to be awesome. Another good example is Shaun of the Dead. We all love Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Lindsay writes, uh, City of Angel. That's what the Penny Dreadful continuation story was going to be called. And it was supposed to be taking place in the early 1900s, of course, in Los Angeles. Uh, the Crow uh, is mentioned by Philip on Facebook. Brandon Lee, of course, uh, for those of you that don't know, Brandon Lee died tragically during the filming of The Crow. It was, Brandon Lee is Bruce Lee's son. Uh, that was very sad. I remember when that story broke. So some of the movies that we have here on our list uh, in the few minutes that we have remaining. Again, Jacob's Ladder, set in 1975. Ravenous, set in the 1800s. Sleepy Hollow, set in 1799. A visionary reimagining of Washington Irving's iconic horror story. The film was developed in makeup effect designer Kevin Yeager and seven screenwriter Andrew Kevin Walker, which spent years being shopped around to studios before it actually came to life. You also have Shadow of the Vampire, set in the 1920s, based on the making of F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu. The uh, Woman in Black, set in 1889. Crimson Peak, which we discussed earlier in the show, 1887. Uh, That Victorian time period back in the late 1800s is a huge time period. For horror movies. That and like I mentioned. Uh, World War II. Post World War II. Uh, like a movie like The Others. Which we discussed. Uh, last week as well. Where you see a movie. From a reversed haunting point of view. Where the whole movie. You don't find out until the end. Is you know. People living in a house. But you don't realize till the end. That it is the it's from the dead's perspective and what they believe is the haunting is actually the living 
living in the house that is occupied by the dead. It stars Nicole Kidman. And that movie came out very soon after The Sixth Sense, where movies were trying to copy the success and the real big plot twist that Bruce Willis's The Sixth Sense had. And uh, The Others is one of the movies that actually did it very well and was pretty successful. Not as successful as The Sixth Sense, but it was still pretty successful. Uh, <laughs> Khaleesi writes Pride and Prejudice Zombie. Yeah, it. I forget the exact title myself. Pride and Prejudice uh, Zombies. That, that was a good movie. Um, that was really interesting. So, of course, The Witch, uh, 1630s, uh, New England, It, Chapter 1, set in 1989, Overlord, World War II, 1945, and the list goes on and on and on. Basically, there are just as many movies, horror movies set in any period from the past as there are movies set in the present day. And of course, we all know there's a whole bunch of movies that like to reference uh, a time period in the past and make it relevant to the present in the storyline, where like uh, The Unholy, great movie, it just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, that stars J.D. Morgan. The beginning of the movie takes place uh, like 200 years ago before they switch on over to the present day uh, because the events that happened 200 years ago were relevant to the story that was about to unfold. So anyway, guys, that's it for tonight. We're out of time. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. It's always a pleasure coming on here and talking with everyone. I'll be back with you tomorrow night. Uh, hope everyone enjoys the rest of your day. If it's morning where you're at, hope everyone else has a good night. And until tomorrow night, guys, stay safe. And remember to always, always stay walking. Good night.